1: 18, and 19. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You ever thought, why would anybody want to do that? I have some thoughts. One is they don't like everything written in it. And you know what some people do? They say, well, I believe that, but I don't believe that. I like this, but I don't like that. And you can do that, but you won't get truth. Some people say, oh yeah, I believe it. And then they add their own thoughts and unbelief to it.
0: There are many elements of Scripture that are open to interpretation, and the resulting debates have led to splits and division within the church. But as Pastor Danny explains in today's message, the validity of Scripture as God's inspired word to man is not a subjective matter. Every word found within its pages was breathed into the hearts of men under the influence of the Holy Spirit. When you throw out any one part of it, you inevitably will throw out the whole thing. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Revelation chapter 22 as he continues his message, Holiness of the Word of God.
1: Deuteronomy 12, 32. See that you do all I command you, don't add to it or take away from it. Proverbs 30, five and six. Every word of God is flawless. Do not add to his words. Or he'll rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Jeremiah 26, verse two. It's what God told Jeremiah to say in his prophetic ministry, but we have it recorded in the book of Jeremiah, so it is part of the Bible. He said to Jeremiah, stand in the courtyard of the Lord's temple, speak to the the people uh, who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Don't omit a word. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, do not go beyond what is written. Now, there are other verses, but what I want to show you just by that sampling of verses is the book of Revelation is not the only place where God says, don't add to my word. And don't subtract from it. And the consequences here in the two verses of Revelation 22 are severe. So we ought to take heed. Now, the sum of these scriptures make it clear that none of the word of God should be added to or taken away from. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is a good verse to note on this subject. It says... All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking. God will get in our grill. And then after the rebuking, correcting. He rebukes us for going the wrong way and he tells us what the right way is. And training in righteousness, right living. But here's a question. Because it's a question that's been asked and it's a question that's being asked in our day. Is the Bible we have, is this Bible I hold in my hand really the Word of God? Oh, I know, but we're in church. There are a lot of people out here that doubt. They say, well, it's been translated and passed on through translation uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it's not really what it once was. It's lost its purity. I beg to differ for four reasons. One, recent archaeological and scientific discoveries. Now, my purpose is not to spend time on those archaeological and scientific discoveries. But if you, uh, if you wanted to, they're easy to find out in our day. But one of the greatest in the recent years is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls prove, especially what they found of the scroll of Isaiah, comparing it to our current Isaiah, in our present Bibles, proof that God knows how to maintain the purity of his word over centuries. But if I only had one reason to give you, now I have four, that was the first one, recent archaeological and scientific discoveries that prove the Bible is true. But if I only had one to give you, I'd give you the second. The prophecies of the Bible, the prophecies, the prophecies alone prove that this is a divine book. Let me give you a sampling. It's Christmas time. Micah chapter five, verse two, the prophet Micah predicted where the Christ would be born, Bethlehem. Psalm 55 verses 12 through 14 predicted that Jesus would be betrayed by a close friend. We know him. His name, Judas. Zechariah 11, 13, one of my favorite, prophesied that the money that Judas got to betray Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, filled with remorse, he comes back, he throws the money into the temple of the Lord, the Jewish leadership that had given him the money in the first place, pick it all up, and they say it's blood money, we can't put it into the temple treasury. And so they bought The potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Amazing prophecy. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13, prophesied specifically what would happen, that the money would be thrown to the potter in the house of the Lord. Amazing. Isaiah 50, verses 5 and 6, prophesied that Jesus would not only be beaten, but literally spat upon. We have the record. That's exactly what happened. Psalm 22, verse 16, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. That was prophesied before anybody knew about a Roman cross. And then Isaiah 53, 12, when he was crucified, he was crucified, and it was prophesied between thieves. One on his right, one on his left. Psalm 22, verse 18, that they would gamble For his clothing, which is exactly what the soldiers did at the foot of the cross. As he hung on the cross, Psalm 69 verse 21 prophesied they would give him gall and vinegar. And that's what the record tells us. Another most fascinating prophecy in Psalm 34 verse 20 says that none of his bones would be broken. The record indicates Pilate sent for them to break the legs of the one on his left break the legs of the one on his right because the Jewish leadership had complained, we don't want our Passover celebration defiled by dead bodies hanging on crosses. So get them down. And so they broke the legs so that they would quickly expire because they couldn't push up and breathe anymore. They come to Jesus intending to break his legs too, but they realized they didn't need to. He's already dead. Fascinating prophecy. None of his bones would be broken. And then one more. One more. Number 10 in my list here, Isaiah 53 verse 9, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He died as a criminal. He should have been buried in a criminal's grave. But a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea comes, asks Pilate for the body. Pilate gives him permission and Joseph takes the body of Jesus and buries Jesus in his own personal rich man's tomb. Do I need to give you any more evidence? I'm going to, but I don't think I need to. The prophecies of the Bible confirm this is God's word. Now look, I could give you more prophecies. That's just 10. And some of you have been listening to me for a long time and you've heard this before. Too bad. The law of compound probabilities tells us the chance of 10 prophecies being fulfilled in the life of one person is 1 in 10 to the 28th power. Some of us go, cool. But let me bring it down on a South Carolina hillbilly understanding level. That's where I come from. If you covered the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars and marked just one of those silver dollars with a red mark, and you tell a friend, "Walk through the entire state of Texas, and anytime you'd like, pick out and choose one silver dollar. The statistical probability that he will choose the red mark dollar is one in 10 to the 28th power. Woohoo! We'll go to the third point. Not only archaeological and scientific discoveries, not only the prophecies of the Bible, but the variety of people that God used to pen this book. It's really 66 books written by over 40 people over a period of 1,400 years on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, in multiple genres, history, poetry, prophecy, and narrative, by people of very diverse backgrounds and social status priest, doctor, political leaders, teachers, fishermen, yeah. <laughs> and shepherds. Why is that important? Again, if you're a note-taker, write down 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. If I had it on PowerPoint, I'd put it up there. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, above all you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came by any private interpretation. But men were moved along, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Muslims have one prophet, Muhammad. Mormons have one prophet, Joseph Smith. Scientology has one prophet, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard. I think it's interesting. In the 1930s and 40s, L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer. In 1949, at a science fiction convention in New Jersey, he stated, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion. And the next year, he published Dianetics, a modern science of mental health. And guess what? He's still writing fiction. The Jehovah's Witnesses, which were at my door yesterday morning. But I had an out. There was a memorial service that I was officiating here at 11 o'clock. And they showed up at my door at about 25 minutes till 11. And I was able to say, I don't have time. But they gave me some material anyway. Theirs is just a twisting of the scripture. They serve a different Jesus, not the Jesus of my Bible. They've changed their Bible from Jesus with a big G, to Jesus with a little g. Not the same Jesus. As much as I love them, it's not the truth. And one guy started it all, Charles Taze Russell. You could go on. Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy. Listen, 66 books compiled into one book written by an amazing variety of authors. It gives additional proof. This is God's Word. And the fourth reason I know this is the word of God is because of the consistent message of this book. And let me remind you, if it's new, it is not true. And if it is true, it is not new. Jude, that little letter just prior to the book of the revelation, little one page letter, but so important. And Jude starts out and he says, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation that we share. But I felt compelled to write, to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. There's one central theme, red letter line that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And it's a redemption that comes only by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior of the world. Revelation 19, 10, we talked about it, did a whole message on it. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so I have another question. Stern warning, Revelation 22, 18 and 19, don't add to it, don't take away from it. You ever thought, why would anybody wanna do that? I have some thoughts. One is, they don't like everything written in it. And you know what some people do? They say, well, I believe that. I don't believe that I like this, but I don't like that. And you can do that, but you won't get truth. Some people say, Oh yeah, I believe it. And then they add their own thoughts and unbelief to it. I won't take the time to turn to it, but in second Kings chapter 17, when one more time has happened repeatedly through history because of Israel's Idolatry and sin and rebellion against the God of Israel. He allowed a foreign nation to come in and and take over the land and deport some of them to their land and then import some of their people from the capturing country, and it happened. And and this one occasion, Second Kings seventeen says that God sent lions, began to kill people. And so it got their attention. And they said to their king, we don't know what the God of Israel requires. There's lions and they're killing people. What are we going to do? And he says, well, go and find one of the guys we deported from there, one of the priests, and put him back there and have him teach our people what the God of that land requires. And so they did. And he begins to say, well, here's what God says. If we're going to worship him and be pleasing to him. But then it says They began to worship the Lord, but they also continued to worship the gods of their land. They were trying to mix it. So I believe this, but I also believe this. But this is a violation of this. So some people add to it or take away from it because they don't like everything it says. Some people go, well, I believe it, but I also believe this. And my third thought, why would anybody do that? They just want to hear positive things. Isaiah chapter 30, not only in the ministry of Jeremiah, but also in Isaiah's ministry and in most of the prophets ministry, they had to deal with this kind of thing. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse nine, the Lord says, these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, the prophets. See no more visions into the prophets. Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Another scripture says, the prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. New Testament tells us the same thing about the last days which I believe we are in. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They like it, religious stuff and things from the Bible, as long as it's positive. My last question and my last couple of thoughts. Why is this so essential? Why is it important enough that I would spend a whole message on those two verses? Number one, if we don't get it right, people won't be saved. I listened a few weeks ago as Dan Rather interviewed My favorite drummer. You may have heard of him. Ringo Starr. Richard Starkey. And as Dan Rather interviewed him, it was very interesting because at one point he asked him about his religious beliefs. And I really perked up. I wanted to hear what Ringo had to say. And I wrote it down. And here's what Ringo Starr said to Dan Rather. I'm a Hindu Christian With Buddhist tendencies. Rick Wakeman. Organist. One of the best bands. Secular anyway in my opinion of history. Yes. What band? Yes. (laughs) Roundabout. Come on. I heard years ago he'd become a Christian. I was so excited. Until I read a personal interview. When they asked Rick Wakeman. About his Christianity. They also asked him about Cat Stevens. If that name is familiar to you, you're old. (laughs) And Cat Stevens had supposedly become a Christian. And Rick Wakeman said about Cat Stevens, I'm glad he found his faith. And what he said in summary was, a lot of roads lead to God. That's where Ringo is. I'm a Hindu Christian. With Buddhist tendencies. This is so essential. Because if we don't get it right. People are deceived. There's only one way. There's only one person. There is no other name given under heaven. Whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus. He's that babe born in Bethlehem. And he grew up to become a man. And he's God's son. And he's the son of God. And it's only as you put your faith in him, that you will ever see the kingdom of heaven. It's essential because of salvation. It's essential because once you put your faith in him, God wants to change our lives. We've been deprogrammed. We've been, we've, we've been sheep. And like sheep, we naturally go astray. And now that you put your faith in Christ, now God wants to use his word to get you reprogram John 17 17 sanctify them Jesus's prayer to his father sanctify them by the truth your word is truth that's why the word of God is so essential not only for salvation but for sanctification and then third and I close with this it's essential because it's so easy to be deceived God gave me this fresh word this morning. I'm so thankful for this fresh word. I wrote it down. I, I underlined it in red as I wrote it, hand wrote it this morning. I wish I'd have had it for last night's service, but the original temptation in the Garden of Eden was Satan getting man to doubt the goodness of God. And the devil took advantage of the restrictions the Word of God placed upon man. Restrictions which were motivated by God's love for Man. Is that not good? I wrote that myself. Divinely inspired from heaven. It's so good, I'm going to read it one more time. The original temptation in the garden was Satan getting man to doubt the goodness of God, and the devil took advantage of the restrictions of the word of God placed upon man, restrictions which were motivated by God's love for man. One more scripture Jeremiah chapter 28. Listen carefully, Jeremiah. 29, verse 8. This is what the Lord says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And then what he says in verse 11, right after that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's not trying to trick us. The devil's trying to trick us. God's given us his word so that we know how to be saved. And then once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then his word is essential to guide us. Blessing. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. That's the complete story of Christmas. It's not just about a babe being born in a manger in Bethlehem. It's about that baby, that divine child. And he was on a mission and he came specifically to die, to pay the price for our sin, that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved, that we might have a future, an eternal future with him and a life here that would be lived in obedience to Him, which is a daily challenge.
0: so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Danny's message in the book of Revelation. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of the messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church and click on sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today or would like us to pray for you, please email us. Our address is info at ccf We're so privileged to be able to pray for you. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we want to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect Creator. And we know that you'll fit right in. Join us on Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Find directions at at our website again that's ccf dot church with that our time with you has officially come to an end there's much more to learn from the pages of Revelation so we hope you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word